Hello, this is uh, the 212 podcast. Every week we meet a new industry pro from the events, art and entertainment industry. They talk us through how they got into events and the reasons why. Uh, starting her career in the arts, uh, events and entertainment space, our next guest began at Capital Radio. Uh, quickly realising she had a knack for it, she delved and weaved into the many strongholds of the industry. This has led to setting up and owning the entity company, uh, to etching her name into festival folklore with her incredibly successful Black Deer Festival. She is so damn good at her job. If this was an event court of excellence, she would be guilty, guilty. Guilty, uh, how are you and where are you today? <laughs> oh, guilty as charged. I am sitting at home on my laptop working uh, very hard, actually, uh, I'm pleased to say, because we are working on our festival that's going ahead this year, Black Deer Festival. So it's an excited Jill you've got overlooking a field in my garden, and yeah, hard at work. Uh, looking over at a field, just thinking of all of the work that's going to go into the field that you have to to work in with Black Deer Festival. So tell tell us, so when you've you've got this, uh, you've got the announcement. When do the restrictions lift for where you are? And it, it sounds to us like that you're probably one of the first off the rung as the events continue this year. Yeah, well. <laughs> It was quite a, a kind of a, a, an intense few moments when we were already selling tickets, hopefully to open our festival on the 18th, 19th and 20th of uh, June this year. But obviously everyone's been waiting with basic breath to see when the industry can kind of open up again. We wasn't really, really expecting the date to come out on the 22nd of Feb when the Prime Minister done his announcement. But he announced a date. He announced a date to the industry when he felt the restrictions could be lifted and we can have festivals again. And unfortunately, as I said, we're 18, 19, 20 of June. He announced opening a festival on the 21st of June. So um, you can imagine everyone in Black Deer had their sort of hand to their head saying, you can't believe, you just, we just can't believe what we've just heard. So... Being an independent company with our own shareholders and, you know, we gathered together very, very quickly and felt that we needed to make a quick decision. And we didn't want to move our festival to later in the year because that was already getting very busy with festivals that were, you know, could happen later in the year, possibly, but also people that wanted to move to later in the year to feel that safety net around them. Uh, so we we just looked at it all and thought we we could have rolled over to 2022. We had that option because we'd been stopped being able to uh, to, to do the festival. But we said no, let's move it. Let's move it one week. I spoke to the estate who are amazing. The home of Black Deer is beautiful, oldest deer park in the UK, and they said yes. They actually were prepared to move something for us. They that they, they were absolutely amazing. All our team were on board. We just said, let's do it. And that's what we did. We made a decision very quickly the next day. Uh, the decision was made. And then the day after that, we announced that we, Black Deer, were moving to the 25th of June, which is the first weekend after the lockdown for festivals eases. So there we are. That's where we are. One week later and potentially, I think, probably the first, you know, larger festival off the block for the year. So party, 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 if it all happens and we don't get the COVID foot come down on us again. 
Um, Amazing. That's just such great news. And I think it's going to be a lot of industry professionals that really just need to hear that positivity because there's a lot of people obviously been been struggling through it but i can imagine uh, you know waiting to listen to to kind of boris's announcement it was kind of like feels like it if there was a fly on the wall to to see all of you hugging and and rejoicing actually not hugging uh physically distancing (laughs) (laughs) it was really frustrating can you imagine the party we would have had in the team just to go We've moved the date. Let's just celebrate that moment. And none of us could. So, uh, but but we was all virtually hugging and zooming and loving each other anyway. Uh, we've got an amazing team. You know, I, I can't say enough about the people that work with us, and I can't name them all. But um, one person, Bev Burton, who who is our booker, she she curates the artist lineup with with Debs and I, and she's a fantastic person. And worked with me over five years uh, during my Hot Farm years when I was festival director for the Hot Farm Festival. And she was my point of call to have um, as a booker for a festival when we started. So, yeah, she's she's great. And then there's a, a guy who's our MD, who's Chris Russell Fish, who's been who's been marching our way through this uh, pandemic. So, and, you know, and lovely shareholders. And as I say, our teams and they know who they are just incredible. And Amazing. all our suppliers. It's, I, I know I sound like, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what I sound like, but I'm so touched by the, the amazing Black Deer team. As I say, suppliers are like, I couldn't ask for more support and, and love and affection from our industry and, the, and our community, actually. The Black Deer community have stuck with us. So yeah, I'm a very happy woman you find me this morning. It's amazing, Jill. And you touched upon your your hot uh, hot farm festival days. Um, we will get into that a little bit later in the interview. But um, let's let's talk about the actual positivity. So that, so who have you who have you got? Have you got the same people that you probably had lined up uh, last year that are gonna that are gonna come on this year, or or did you have the festival last year and you were hoping waiting with bated breath for for this year? Well, as you can imagine, um, like from 20 to 21, we had a big artist rollover. We lost very, very few um, in that. 2021, brilliant lineup. We, uh, we've got a fantastic lineup, but we're in the process and we can't reveal that yet. But our booker is frantically working behind the scenes with all the agents and all the artist management to bring as many back as possible. And yeah, but we will have a sterling lineup whatever happens you know that that's that's the way it will work i think our our audience will so appreciate the fact that that we're bringing you know lots of good stuff back so yeah and how do you see that happening in the future uh, a lot of people have set up different ways within their events to make it work you've had the people sectioning off certain areas uh, you've had certain people seated events how do you envisage that happening for you for Black Deer? Will will it look the same? I'm ass- I'm assuming it won't look the same. There'll be some alterations, but how does it has it has it worked for you? Well, well, we're looking. You know, production of my games. I'm working with my production team and and you know curating the festival the way it looks and feels with with Deb Schilling, who's who's my co-founder in the festival. She's marketing director. I'm, I'm, I build the world. Um, so, but between us, we curate actions going on within the festival. And so we're, we're kind of looking at it all. But, you know, one of the things I think will be almost certain is that we've had venues, we've built venues before, really brilliant, bespoke venues. 
um, made out of corrugated walls and, and stretch tents and uh, and there people walk into them and say they're like a Texan bar you know it, we we create these venues that are fantastic and uh, we're going to have to kind of rethink that not put the walls around open up the sides and you know our bars will be outside of the venue rather than inside the venue so th- there's, there's stuff like that that we're going to do as a matter of course um, even without anyone telling us we have to do that that our instincts are telling us we need to look at all 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 of the structures and how how we bring stages outside more i mean the, the beauty of erridge estate it's in total as an estate it's 3500 acres and i've been working i worked uh, with the estate before getting their licenses for them as consulting as entity in my business consulting to them so i already knew that black deer would, uh, would that if i was ever to do a festival it would be at erridge and when we decided to do Black Deer, there was only one home for it, and that was Erridge Estate. So having having this amazing, amazing acreage of a, of a festival site, I know that we can do and work with whatever restrictions are laid on us nearer the time. Things are changing daily here. You know, what COVID rules would be here now wouldn't won't be there in four eight weeks time you know so we're having to move and be very pliable how we're working but we're on it we're on it and we do whatever's right for our customers and staff alike you know isn't that kind of testament to our industry though the 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 nature of uh, events or the nature of arts or entertainment is that constant need to move and flex and ebb and flow with whatever situation comes up you know you can be that Pro, have that proactive attitude, but you really do need to be reactive, and you, you need to be flexible. I, I I really genuinely don't think anyone has any idea outside of the industry what it takes. You know how flexible you have to be, how you think on your feet. It's not like any other industry. I re, you know I I I would argue with anyone who says that they're in the they're in an industry that 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 is has to be so fluid has to be so intelligently thought through in terms of you've got people's lives at risk if you don't do it right you know it is is such a responsibility and it always makes me laugh like friends and family have even said it in the past oh oh um do you have to be on site for your event it's just like oh my god people do not get it and I think I, I think you know to, to a great extent the government who, who who are trying desperately I think to understand our industry and trying to help but but are so lacking in knowledge of what it takes for for this group of amazing people to bring music and entertainment and sporting events and events of all kinds to the UK and when we're in trouble they. They, they kind of didn't quite grasp what's required, you know. I think they're learning, and I, what I think is great is that, that now they're listening, and hopefully for the future they're going to continue to listen and realise what fantastic industry they've got. I totally agree. It's one of those ones where you do you can have people within government roles, but you do need people who have that experience within events uh, that need to give that foresight to, to to how events are actually run. And you can read you can read all you want. You can read papers on this and papers on that. You have to live and breathe working on a site. It doesn't 
you know, you can look at a site plan and that all looks amazing. It all has to move and shape when you're on site building that world. That's what people don't realise. They think they can learn everything from a textbook and then be able to you know, spout off stuff. You have to understand what it's like to be on that site, to take responsibility, to have the broad shoulders that's needed to make decisions just quickly and people respecting you enough that they respond. That's what our industry is. You know, it isn't reading it from a textbook. It really isn't. You talk about uh, building worlds there uh, in terms of the, the building, the, the the stages and building, you know, kind of Black Deer Festival at, uh, in itself. One of the things that, that, that you started out with, or certainly in a, from a senior management point of view, is, is, you know, being that former head of entertainment at, at Capital FM, which is which was you know nearly 10, 10 years so talk us through there how did you get into that and 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 how does that role bring you to the experience that you've that you've got today with with the festival well i um you know i i was a, a young mum i had two children and i wanted to have a part-time job and i, I was very fortunate i had a mum who was amazing mum and dad who were amazing and would look after the children for two days a week. I decided I want to work in London, so I got out the yellow pages, looked through it, and looked at all the jobs that I thought I might love. And I wrote off to a theatre saying that I was, you know, I was an experienced bookkeeper, you know, I could I could uh, type 100 words a minute and blah, blah, blah. I told them all my assets. It was just a really chatty letter, and at the end of it I said, I'm willing to work a month free of charge to prove what I can do. And and I make a lovely cup of tea. And I, I, I was fortunate that three days later, I got a call from the uh, new um, general manager of the Duke of York Theatre in St. Martin's Lane. I uh, went for an interview. He gave me the job. And unbeknownst to me, the theatre was owned by Capital Radio. So it was just a, a transition. I worked in the theatre. I loved the theatre with all my heart. And Richard Attenborough was the chairman of Capital Radio and also the Duke of York's Theatre. So this time with Capital was quite close. I was then asked while I was at the theatre to start taking over, dealing with the UK promoters to to put scripts together, to, ha- to have on air promotions for them. So it kind of like I was doing that as well as my sort of... Uh, a role at the Duke of York Theatre, which very quickly didn't wasn't any bookkeeping and was more an assistant in the theatre, started to do all of this stuff for Capital, and then uh, they decided to sell the theatre and asked if I would move up to up to the radio station. I was insistent that I would only work two days a week, still. So I was the only part time person <laughs> that they allowed. To, to be employed at the time at Capital, which was like massively, you know, I was massively grateful for that. I continued working with the UK promoters, promoting their stuff on air. You know, to cut a long story short, um, we lost our home in the recession and finances at home were, were, were a bit dire. So I had an opportunity to do more days at Capital and then again, with the help of my amazing mum and dad, ended up fighting my <laughs> fighting for my career, not fighting for it, but, but you know, working with, with on my career at Capital Radio in order to bring in income for the family. So it, it kind of escalated from there, really. Um, and during that time, I was a um, concert manager uh, working on, on 
some amazing things. There was the Capital Radio Music Festival going on at the time with like, you know, artists like Prince, Neil Young, Pearl Jam, Take That. It was, you know, a great, exciting time. I continued to work with all the UK promoters, promoting their stuff on air. Um, I then escalated to uh, being made uh, in my final sort of few years at Capital Head of Entertainment which encompassed all the live music side of uh, radio stations' involvement. And then I was tasked, our head of music programming, Richard Park, had been over to the States and seen a radio-led event out there, which which was great. He loved it. Uh, it was, you know, all, all led by the radio station, great artists. And he came back and he said, Joe, I want to do that in the UK. I want to do it in London. Um, so we, we set about, that was my task, to pull together uh, the first ever uh, party in the park in Hyde Park. So my project with a great team again was to get a production company to build the world and to work with them to to secure the site and, and create, you know, this event. So after many months of uh, hard work and the uh, and the funny part of that is that I had to interview for the role of producer for the production company to build the world was the likes of Melvin Benn, Harvey Goldsmith, <laughs> uh, John Giddens Solo. They all came in, all of the guys came in for an interview with me and the head of the Prince's Trust. To, to, to apply for the role to produce this first ever radio event. So after some discussions and obviously uh, Solo, which was John Gillian's company, had done a lot of stuff with the Prince's Trust and there was a kind of a little natural marriage in there. So we appointed them to do the job of building the world at Hyde Park. So working really closely with them as I did, I was I was kind of their client and we ended up, having this amazing, amazing team of people working on the site. And I kept looking at this world building from from a green uh, flat piece of ground to to every day there was new people coming on site and it just this community that I saw building and and the way the structures were going up. I fell in love with it. I literally fell in love with that world. And the, the event happened, 100,000 people came into Hyde Park, uh, watching that from the stage, watching all these people when we opened gates and feeling that I'd, you know, I'd played a, a significant part in that was, 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 you know, out of this world. But, but I still couldn't get out of my head this feeling that I wanted to build the world <laughs> rather than be the client for it. So, um, I, I did a lot of thinking and then went back to my boss and said, and this is literally just after, just after the event had happened. And I said to them, I want to leave and I want to start my own business. <laughs> and bearing in mind by then I'd had, I'd got a great job at Capital. I mean, I couldn't, I, I had all, all of the perks of the, the time of working. For, for a major radio station and ma- major radio station group actually because Violin Capital bought a lot of other radio stations and I, I, I was adamant is what I wanted to do in the end 
they they I mean, I mean they could do nothing but agree but they gave me party in the park to project manage for two years in my new business and um, partly because I obviously knew all of the you know I, I had all of the cards really of, of producing it but also you know as a goodwill thing as well so I started my new business entity with a, a fantastic piece of business with a, a, a fellow colleague at Capital who came in as my business partner and we started the journey together. Awesome. So uh, two questions. Who was your first act that you had in Party in the Park and how did that work afterwards once you'd left and uh, you owned Entity? How did that work uh, with Capital? Was it better for you? Did you feel a different role within that organization as well or did you feel like you wanted to branch out and and move away from that as well well I wanted to grow as a person and learn how to produce festivals yeah so my first two-year contract with capital was still acting on behalf of capital almost the same role you know being the liaison between the production company and the radio station so that part of me didn't change. And so my relationship with Capital was still great. I was in and out of the, you know, of the radio station still. But the other part of me was wanting to, to, to branch out and start learning how to produce festivals. Uh, or not particularly festivals at that time, but events, you know, just general events. So that's what we did. We set up, set about learning our trade. Um, Debs had come from a sponsorship sales background. So we just thought we'd pool our resources and see see where we, where we go with it. And uh, I remember one of our first contracts that we got to actually produce our own event was, believe it or not, it was for, for Ferrari, Maserati, who were working, um, uh, they, they used to do an annual event at uh, Brands Hatch Race Course. And we pitched for this business to actually do the production after the event to produce Eric Clapton. <laughs> so that was our first, that was our first building the world event that we took on. Like, you know, by no mean fee, it was a massive contract, but I'd learned enough about bringing the right people in to build the world. So it was my role was pivotal in, in bringing the teams together. To, to make it happen and we made it happen very successfully which we were over the moon about i was as green as anything in pricing you know it was a it was a it was a baptism by fire the things i learned afterwards and applied to, to other events but what i learned on that first event was it was incredible so it kind of set us on a pathway or then producing lots of events post that. And luckily for us, the relationship with Capital was so strong. Once they saw me producing events, they then gave me a three-year contract to produce all of the party in the parks all over the regions. So, you know, we was like a traveling circus going from one event to the other. And, you know, learning, learning along the way, even more lessons. You never stop learning, actually, in this industry. That's something I have learned. <laughs> you never stop learning, and each each event and it, it, you know it brings about its own set of uh, circumstances that you have to deal with. 
Yeah, it sounds like everything you everything you touch or you you're doing has a significant impact within the organisation that you're working at. I mean, you've got that cap that head of entertainment of Capital FM, then going into that that co-owner entity group. But a friend of yours, you know, posted up a, a question to ask you, knowing that uh, I was going to speak to you today, and that was ask her about Hop Farm and Festival Mum. <laughs> Okay, so so um, <laughs> further on down the line, I was asked by Vince Power, who was one of my first, when I went back to talking to you about the uh, promoters that I got to know way, way back in my capital days, Vince Powell was one of those. He was doing the flower at the time and he, he didn't have Reading or Leeds at that point. He was, he was so, sort of starting out on his his journey really you know he had the mean fiddler and uh he came into my life then and we became friends from from that point and i used to promote all the stuff on air for him and and get the jocks to say what i wanted them to say and in those days in radio it, you know if you got a live read the, the the lines would light up selling tickets if you got a job to you'd be able to talk. so the promoters always really appreciated my access to to get them really great sort of uh, exposure so so Vince became a, a really good friend and through his period obviously with Mean Fiddler with Melvin they built their you know that business became phenomenal he sold it and then wanted to do something of his own so you know we, we continued dialogue and the long and the short of it I eventually became uh, his festival director at the Hot Farm Festival for the Hot Farm Festival for five glorious years of me learning everything so much from him. I learned so much, things I would do and wouldn't do. So <laughs> it, 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 but, but, but it was it, for, for running a festival, I, I was learning from one of the best people, I believe, you know. His love of music is, is incredible. His passion for what he's doing, it, it, you, you, you can't buy that, you know. That's who he is, he's a music man through and through. So, so we enjoyed like five years of ups and downs of, of, of festival life. Unfortunately, the Hot Farm Festival went, went bust, um, after five years, but, but those five years were, were incredible years with artists that you just, you know, you blew your, blew your way. I mean, Prince's only ever UK festival was at the Hot Farm. So, and you know, Neil Young, Dylan, I mean, the list just is endless. So, but how do you how do you pull how do you pull in someone like we're talking you know musical idols of of many how do you pull in people of that caliber was that just that, that you know that Vince had that pull or did you have yeah. contacts through your Capital FM days or no I mean I mean these artists are paid artists that 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 Vince you know it was a combination so Vince was the Obviously, the, the the absolute king of of pulling in these major artists. He had relationships with some of them, you know, like because as I say, he's a proper music man. He's not just somebody who pulls things together. He 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 lives and breathes it. So there was partly that. And Bev, who I was talking about, was was the booker I pulled in to come and work with me when we're doing our own festival. She was his uh, younger person that was out looking at gigs, finding the best new artists and all of that kind of stuff. 
So it was kind of the combination of the two of them that brought about such a fantastic lineup for the Hop Farm. I think people still talk about the Hop Farm with great affection. You know, I built the world, they built the lineup, and that's kind of how it worked. And, and it worked really, really well. And you, sorry, you talked about a site mum. So can I just talk about this woman? Yeah, because I've always believed that we have to look after our people. You know, it's easily forgotten when we're all two o'clock in the morning and we're still on site trying to get those last things done and and the hard work and, and, and you know, people forget to eat and it's all of that that goes on. Well, 20, um, 21 years ago, 22 years ago now, when I first, you know, was first doing our events, Jean, who was, <laughs> she was a friend of my, my um, sister-in-law and um, she was a person that, she was she was quite a lovely. Oh no, she said I I I, I made a cup of tea for them, and uh, um, the local antique shops open. And she says I you know I I I'd done a little scones and cream for them and their customers. And I said, well, do you work there, Jean? And she said, oh no no no. She said I just go and do things and help out. So I'm just looking at this woman, thinking, oh my god, you know I've got these jobs coming up, and wouldn't it be lovely to have a Jean? <laughs> <laughs> were looking after everyone behind the scenes, you know. It was so, so she'd never done anything like this before. Um, and so I, I said to her, Jeannie, I've got these party in the parks coming up. This was when we was doing the regional, um, regional party in the parks. And I said, would you like to come and test out on one event to see if you like doing it? And she said, oh, never thought of doing anything like that. But she said, yes, I will. So <laughs> I brought Jean on site. First um, one that we did for the Party in the Park series was in Kent, and she lived in a sort of East Sussex, so it was kind of nice. If she didn't like it, she didn't have to come on the journey with us to the others. Anyway, she was amazing. I still get people now who talk to me about Jean. So Jean has been with me on every single event I've ever done since that day, and she's a major part of my life. So her job is to look after everyone and that's why everyone loves her and yeah it's a really important role for people to have you know people is a really important person for people to have in our industry and not everyone has not everyone has a gene within their events no but but everyone should <laughs> you've got to make time to find a gene because what they do in terms of everyone's feeling of well-being is create a whole different environment. And that's the thing Vince loved about the way I produce, the way I'm, I, I put a festival together. He loved it because it was, I'm a family person. You know, I've got two amazing kids who are grown up and I've got, a, I'm a family person through and through. So everything I've ever channeled is as, as a, as a family person is building a family. That's how I see it all. That's how I've always seen it. So I think the softness in that, even when I have to have, you know, big balls and be a tough lady sometimes, you know, I've always got family at the heart of it. And, and that's, I think, a really important thing for me personally, for me to love what I do. I couldn't do it any other way. And Vince really loved that part of it, of the festival life with me. Because he'd come and enjoy it, he'd bring his family. Jean would look after him, and he it, it used to be very laid back. You know, back of house was very laid back, 
you know, we'd be fighting out, you know, fighting to keep everything going, you know, obviously like you do on every festival. But it was a calmness that I created through through that sort of family feeling that everyone felt comfortable. A lot of a lot to do with Hot Farm Festival seems to be unique in in that same way that you mentioned with Jean. Uh, another one that that springs to mind, you know, it was only five years that it was there, but no sponsorship on the event. How does that work? I think Vince, you know, it was Vince's vision to have a festival with no sponsorship because there was. It was, you know, a lot of events and festivals are very sponsorship heavy. And I think he wanted people to just be free of that. And that was his, you know, that was his ethos for it. The whys and wherefores of why the business eventually didn't succeed is, is, is Vince's world. You know, at the end of the day, what happened, everything you can look back on hindsight and say, if that was done or if that was done, you know, the truth of it was there were five years of a fantastic, festival that had no sponsorship but wasn't you know people loved it the customers absolutely loved it and they always remember of it you know with such fondness that you know I can discuss what I do from a business point of view but that was Vince's decision to run his business how he saw fit with his team of advisors I was there to make the world happen and fight with him on budgets (laughs) (laughs) Which I used to do all of the time. You can imagine. So, that's that's always the, that's always the hard one when you when you're speaking to your boss about budgets. <laughs> you constantly like arguing about it, but you know, we'd argue and I'd say, "Oh, yeah, you know, we'd have proper arguments." But but it was always resolved and and yeah, worked out. Okay. And you mentioned there just uh, the five years that it was around, and also the the fondness that people talk about it. You know, I went to Hop Farm when. Richard Ashcroft played there. Richard Ashcroft was great, but I still felt like, you know, Bruce Forsyth was one that came completely uh, <laughs> left of field. And I absolutely loved him. But, I mean, the, the Richard Ashcroft, while he was going through the uh, disagreements about uh, about who, who could play the songs, uh, there was just a, a moment where he was playing a few of his songs and then he just turned around. I won't do his accent, but he just turned around and said, fuck it, these are my songs, I'm going to play it. And he just played Bittersweet Symphony and everyone, I still get, I've got goosebumps now just thinking about it. What's your, what are your memories that you have like that, that stick in your mind that kind of give you those goosebump uh, moments? I mean, Prince, Bob Dylan, Ray Davis, uh, Blondie, Mumford & Sons, Morrissey, Brian Ferry. You must have a, a heap. Oh my God. I've got, I've got so many, so many, but um. I suppose one of the, I mean, we were producing like the Eagles, Neil Young, Bob, it, it, the, the list was like incredible. And all I, you know, I, I really was a fan of a lot of the artists that we were playing. So the massive, massive pleasure for me to be producing that show, you know, that festival. Working like you do, if you're festival director, you're always being pulled one way or the other. No matter what artist is on, you're busy all of the time. And, I was in the middle of a, um, a safety advisory group meeting on site that they wanted to have every four hours or something. And one of them fell, one of the meetings fell on when Prince was doing his set. I have to say, Prince was bloody incredible. It was the most unbelievable response that he gave to being on that festival. He was, he was incredible, incredible. So yeah, I managed to grab little bits of it, you know, through the working, this time he was on stage and I was in the middle of this this meeting and 
I heard Purple Rain come on and I just went to them. I'm sorry, enough's enough, guys. I'm off. And I, I grabbed my coat and I walked to the back of the um, arena, in, you know, so the crowds and the stage was in front of me on my own, wrapped my coat around me and watched as this uh, purple ticker tape was coming out of the sky and I cried on my own. I sobbed <laughs> because it was just one of those real defining moments of, of realising what you were a part of and and why you do what you do because there's hell of the, you know, for sure there's not a lot of money in this. <laughs> I earn more at Capital than I've ever earned in my own business. So it, it's about those moments and that was just uh, just an incredible moment and I cried I could have been anywhere. I could have been side of stage. I could have been anywhere, but I was on my own with my little green coat on, wrapped around me, sobbing. <laughs> and we all have those moments, you know, that must have taken you back as like a, a teenager or a young girl listening to Prince and then you seeing him there. You must just be, must have been quite starstruck. It's really bizarre because whilst, you know, I appreciated uh, Prince's music over the years, I really have. It, it was it was never sort of it was never top of my kind of like the kind of music I loved. Really, I loved it. You know, obviously some of the anthems are kind of there, but it was never. But but I was totally mesmerised by him, totally. So yeah, yes, seeing him there and being part of that moment, and then afterwards for all these years, you know, on, you know, you know that was. Uh, God, when was that? Two thousand twelve, or two? No, two thousand eleven. But it it was just a, a memory that will stick with me, and people still talk about that particular event. You know. So, is it an aura about him? Is it just uh, just the movement, or or just just knowing that you're witnessing something really special? Uh, witnessing something really special, watching his mun- his musicianship, watching him perform on a stage live like he was was incredible you know really being there and seeing those snatching those moments of just watching him the way he captured the audience the way he was so natural and he was having fun and his um tour manager said afterwards that he just had the best time and and that you know was 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 so thrilling to hear post post the event everyone was blown away everyone who worked on that particular uh, festival year were blown away by that performance and festivals in itself, you know, working 20-hour days probably for the four weeks prior to that, that must have been a real overwhelming feeling afterwards, just knowing, like, wow, that was just amazing. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it really was. It was, yeah, definitely, definitely one of my all-time favourite moments. Obviously, we're talking about great moments there, and feel free to avoid this question, which uh, I'm sure you probably will, Jill. But um, it's uh, what are the what are the ones that you wish that you don't work with again? Which are the which are the ones that caused you some grief, where you're like, oh God, I don't want to work with those again, please. Well, I've got to a point in my life now, which is great, which I won't work with anyone I don't want to work with anymore. And having your own festival, you kind of like you have a certain amount of control over over that i have to, <laughs> i won't tell you anything bad about anyone because i think i've always given as good as i've got so i've never felt I, i'm actually quite a tough tough person in in respect of i won't allow people to you, you know look 
<laughs> I'm a blonde woman in a very male-orientated industry when I started out, you know, um, and you get dismissed um, many times when I've been at meetings and I've got a, like a, a guy, my site manager with me and, and everyone will talk to them. <laughs> Talk to them rather than talk to me. They soon get to know it's me they need to talk to, but it's kind of like that. So, so look, you cannot, you cannot avoid that. That's part of the, this life I chose to go into. You know, I chose to go into at the time. Don't forget, we're going back, you know, 20 odd years to 22 years. Um, and so I've learned, I learned to, to, to not allow it to get to me. And, and for me to continue to always hold my own, but but do it in a nice way. So that's why whatever job I've ever had, where I've been had someone who might have tried to be bullying or tried to be difficult, I've laughed it off and managed to get through it and end up actually finding a way through it where you end up having quite a nice relationship with that person. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not really fudging. That is kind of the truth, what I've, what I've just sort of said, really. Well, I guess you must have seen as well, it's, you know, 1989, correct me if I'm wrong, 1989 to 1998 with Capital FM, the, the span uh, of years that you've worked within the industry, do you think there's enough female representation? I might not be very popular with the women, what I'm going to say, but going back them days, uh, you know, from when we was first starting out, there, there were women in the radio station. You know, I, I would say probably in radio that at that time there was there was a yeah a good n- number of women. But there also, you know, other women choose to 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 lead a different. Life. I choose to be part time for a long while, so I couldn't compete, and that was my choice. I wanted to be with my children. I couldn't compete with with if it was a male who wanted to work full-time who could give everything to their career do you know what I mean so there's you know through my life I've had balances that I've had to accept that I can't give what I what I need to give to that job because I've got a family and balance is everything to me everything I've, I've got a, you know beautiful children and grandchildren that I absolutely adore but that's not not stopped me being a woman who's succeeding in an industry um, and success for me is measured by how much I've enjoyed what I'm doing, really. And one of, you know, one of the things that was, was, was another great thing that I believe in my life was when, uh, Deb's left the business for a period of time. She left because she wanted to go off and do other things. And it was, it coincided with the time I was doing the party in the parks. Um, and Reese, my son, was crewing with me, and my daughter was working with me on site. So we'd be, as I said, when we was this travelling circus, we was all going around and being together, and they'd bring their mates on board. And then one day, um, Reese, my son, said, "There must be something else we could be doing here. I've got five, uh, five in a trot uh, party in the park." And I looked over and I said, "Well, the only thing that we can't afford as a, as a event in a park on a day event is fencing." We can't afford like the green fencing. All you could afford was Harris or, you know, like the anti-climb stuff, which didn't look very nice or building site holding. So, um, we, we then got our heads together and, and decided to, to design and, and make our own fencing solution that, that, that was sturdy, that looked nice on a park. And we set up a business entity hire was a business I set up with my son and one other person we brought in. 
and we've managed to raise finances. And, and now Entity Hire is, is a hugely successful fencing company that supplies to all major events, including Hyde Park, <laughs> and works with all the major companies and independents. And Reese has driven that through. So Reese is in this business as well. My so you didn't, you didn't, uh, you didn't put uh, your kids off of wanting to work in the industry. You encouraged it. Well, it kind of happened naturally. So my daughter, you know, again, you know, really strong, talented girl. That wasn't the path that she chose to go down. She worked with me on it and was was great. But she now lives in in Lanzarote. She's built a business out there, you know, looking at you know where she puts holidays together bespoke holidays together she speaks spanish she's out there you know but but i think the grounding of, of running businesses and 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 being our own bosses is sort of inside us i think it's inside us and and it, it's exciting that that my my kids are all kind of doing and you know stuff within the industry albeit christy's doing something slightly different but, you know, Reese has made a huge success with, again, a great team of people. I'm a director. He's the MD. He's been driving this business forward and making a huge success of it. So, you know, we've we've suffered badly, having said that, this year. <laughs> Seeing lots of steel fencing, you know, miles and miles and miles of fencing in a yard and all our lorries and nothing going out is is quite heartbreaking to be honest well we've got fingers crossed for that june july onwards to try and get that back into shape yeah and the, and the phones are ringing again and there's you know positivity again um but it's sad so so i always have my supplier head on when i'm producing anything so i always ensure that my site team whoever do, is not wasting the supplier's time by marking out something and not really thinking it through because when those boys go in and put that row of steel on, on a festival site, that's hard bloody graft. You know, they sweat blood for what they do. They are, I, I've got a huge amount of respect for them, huge amount and respect for, for what they do. And that's why as a production person and person, you know, who, who understands pulling worlds together, your supplier is everything and you have to respect them and you have to take your time to do your job properly. All of those, uh, all of those scenarios, all of those situations, all of those festival experience, the music, the just uh, the 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 business with your with your your son, and it all seems to have led you to 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 this today with 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 being the co-founder of Black Deer Festival. And you know, we're coming to the end of the the the, the podcast episode now. But how is Black Deer Festival different? And is this? Do you feel like this is a combination of all your experience to to kind of ultimately bring together a dream festival for you? Well, what was wonderful is Deb's left, you know, uh, and went to do her own thing with her family and build a family, and then a few years uh, ago. She had a great project, brought it on board, and we decided to do stuff together again, yeah? So, which is lovely. You know, it's like having your old mate back. So during the course of that time, um, I, I decided to have a party and built a little festival set in, in the garden. You know, it's not a huge, huge garden, but it, it kind of lent itself to do this party. And an old guy of an, who's an uncle of a friend of mine, came uh, she asked him if he could come along i said yes of course he could anyway we got chatting he started talking about the hop farm i said i you know i'm not really doing into 
doing festivals anymore unless I owned one or, or I had control over it. We started talking more. He talked about his love of country music and I just stood still and I went to him. The only genre I think that I'd want to get involved with is the whole country and Americana scene because I think that's got huge growth. And I love, personally, I love the music. So we 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 chatted more and then he said, well, if you're interested in talking more, I'd be prepared to put some seed money behind it. <laughs> so it was kind of that's how Black Deer kind of started. I, I, I knew there was only one place I'd want to do it, which was Erich Estate. I rung up Debs the next day and said, ah, we might be doing our own festival. Before we knew it, we was out in Nashville um, courting all of the, the agents out there to tell them that we're going to do a, this festival the following year. When in bold, brave, great production values we're going to do. And because of my history in the hop farm and, you know, a lot of the agents were aware of that. So it was a great, you know, it was a really good calling card. And we set about designing how we would want our festival to be. And that's how it started. It was through a passion. You know, the music for me was was in my heart. And we built a festival using all the experience, you know, all my experience in festivals. And it all, as you say, came together. Deb's love love of, um, you know, sh- she's a great marketing person and building the brand, the look and feel. And together we've, we've sort of um, got a festival that's our baby <laughs> and people seem to like it and it's full of love. What I said earlier about the suppliers, it all came full circle. The people I've worked with over the years are with me now, a lot of them. And it's someone described walking into Black Deer is like walking into a big hug. And I couldn't be more happy from that description of it. You mentioned so often about the people that you that you work with. And I think um, this is a perfect way to, to, to finish up this episode um, just with the final question. But uh, what would you say to anyone that wants to get into the industry? And is it is, is the people the, the main thing that you uh, you'd focus on? I think if you've got any thoughts of doing it, bloody do it. And, and work hard and you will get noticed. I do believe that. I think show your enthusiasm, shine above everyone else. If you want to get into the next phase of, of working through events, you'll get noticed by working hard and be kind, be kind to everyone, be helpful. I promise you, for me personally, those people shine and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change what I'd done. When I walked out of the Capital Radio and this amazing job that I had, I never looked back. I love building worlds and I want to continue to do that as long as I can. So they put me in the, throw me in a box and cart me away somewhere. I'll still be going. I've got one more event, one more event. (laughs) (laughs) Jill T, thank you very much for your time today and and really, really hope. And and everyone, please look out for, uh, for Black Deer Festival. What a great way to, to, to start, um, to have, have Black Deer Festival. So Jill T, thank you very much for your time today and, and really look forward to, to seeing what, what you're doing in the future. Thank you very much. Pleasure.